Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 8-20-2023, and we're ready to continue our worship service uh, with the thought of the week and prayer. Let's move right into okay. the thought of the week. Thought of the week is God's testimony time. My testimony is that I have examined the evidence and have found one passage of Scripture where a believer one state can be lost, others in danger of being lost. Speaking transparently, I have labored to come to these conclusions. My natural, my natural, my my natural inclination, where is to discuss and question the thought of eternal security. So I don't want to smugly present my conclusion as though. I always believe of believe them just this way. I am proud to say that my theology has evolved. And to me, if we are growing in grace and knowledge, I'm sure some may disagree with my findings, especially if you are on the other side. You may be thinking of scriptures that speak of backsliding, of some warning of justice. If, these, if there are scriptures leading those rejection security into that position, then I can understand that. After all, we must be persuaded by the scriptures. Although I, do not, I don't believe the scriptures teach the insecurity of the believer, I must admit, at one time, I firmly thought the scriptures taught insecurity. Moving away from my bias, bias Moving away from my biases and objectivity, examined the question passage. I found the evidence for eternal security overwhelming. It's interesting how changes happen in our lives. That's the reason on the thought of the week of sexually time. So at the time they have prayer. Do anyone have any special prayer requests? Yeah, please pray for the Haddon family and and for the Presley family. We are obviously going through some struggles, and we've talked about them in the past. So, but all the other families as well. Okay. Well, at this time, we'd like to have <laughs> prayer. Father, we ask you, Lord, to look over the Presley, the Haddon family, Father, also. Looking over the Myron and Steve family and the White family, Father, we ask you, Lord, you know the the situation that each one of us is calling to, Father. So we ask you, Lord, to look over us, Father, individually, Father, so that under your understanding, under your grace, Father, that you can provide us, Father, with your blessing. Father, we ask you, Lord, to as we go on, Father, that. You will provide us the necessary tools we need to keep this service provided, Father. Father, we ask for this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate that, Dave. <clears throat> we are moving right into where we were studying last week. We're in the book of Galatians, chapter 2 and verse 20 and 21, which is the last two verses in Galatians chapter 2. And there's a lot to cover. We're going to try to pick up with some of these uh, points and these two classic verses that I would say are profound. I think they are a conclusion that is drawn, helping us understand one, that salvation is free, it's by grace. And two, that uh, we are in a new age. We are no longer under the jurisdiction of the Mosaic Law. So many people may have a hard time with that thought. Maybe they've been taught that dispensations are not in the Word of God or something. But they are clearly there. <laughs> 
you could say they're not if you want to and follow some theologies that rail against it. But if you examine the word, you know what it's like? It's like people saying the rapture's not in the Bible. They say the rapture's not in there. How can you teach that? Well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the meaning of rapture is in the Bible. If you go to 1 Thessalonians 4, it says that we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That's rapture. That's what it means. Jesus says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's rapture. So, a lot of people who don't like particular points that the scripture makes will figure out ways against them. Dispensations is one of those things. It's clearly there in the scripture, but people feel like, oh, you know, this is something that was created later. It's something added. We'd rather keep our own way of thinking about it, even though there it is in the scripture. So in any case, we got a lot of points of scripture here that we want to cover. So we're going to go back to where we were. Uh, there may be some review. But Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 is where we left off, which says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So <clears throat> when it says that we are crucified, Paul is speaking for himself here. He's saying what his experience is crucified with Christ is something that happens. It's sort of a tough thing to say. I'm going to death. But Paul is speaking of it in terms of what happens to us when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he is... He understands the positional aspects of it, meaning we're in Christ and we go through our experiences, his experience. Well, what was his experience? Death, burial, and resurrection. And now we have newness of life, which is what we would say the resurrection life. So Paul understands that positionally all of us were baptized into Christ. That's how we got into the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. But then he also understands another aspect of it, and that that doctrine has aspects that allow us to live it, not just say, oh, these things happen, but we, are, we have the assets to live the new life, the life of Christ, the resurrected life of Christ. On earth now, we have that opportunity. So I'm going to go through a couple points here because this is an important uh, doctrine, as I call it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the first point is, Paul says, crucified with Christ. Paul is referring to baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we went through Romans 6, 1 through 11 to talk about that Paul, not only does he say this is positional for all of all of us, all Christians today since Pentecost have this as part of our makeup. But he now is pivoting from that point to say, uh, here's how we can apply this to our daily lives. He's showing us how to live. So then point B, I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. This speaks to Paul's understanding and application of this truth to his life. Even if we think we are alive apart from Christ, it is no more binding than our thinking we are not in Adam from physical birth. What I'm saying is the truth, the reality of this point is that Paul recognizes that the life he once lived when he was in Adam, he no longer lives. And we can't divorce ourselves from the life of Christ, even if we wanted to, any more than we could divorce ourselves from the life of Adam. We couldn't. If we were born in Adam, we were going to be have necessarily his properties, his principles, uh, the things, 
characteristics of Adam. And not only that, the judgments that Adam received, the sin that he committed, the trespass, is also imputed to us. Uh, the penalty for that trespass, condemnation, is also imputed to us when we are born. So these are things that are real. They, they, this is not something that we can dismiss and say, oh yeah, well, that's what it says, but really, I'm my own person. I don't need Adam. I could just think for myself. No, 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 you're a product of Adam, says the scripture. I know you might not like it, but that is the reality. So when Paul says, I no longer live, he's, rep he's recognizing that separation that happened. He, it's not something that's just theological and in theory or something. It's practical now. Paul says, I, I understand that to be true. And not only that, I'm going to begin to live my life according to it. Point C. The goal is that we apply this truth here and now. And this is interesting, or this is Romans 6, 3. Or do you not know, or don't you know, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So the death meant he is separating, he is separated from this world. And now, what does it mean for us? It means we are also separated from this world. And that would also separate us from the first Adam. So Romans 6.3, or do you not know? Some people might not know this is, this is something that has to be taught. Because the natural inclinations, the natural experiences are not overcome because you've been saved, because you've been baptized, and now you're in, the, in, in Christ. You may not know. You have to learn how to walk in truth. You have to understand uh, that your walk is not automatic like you God didn't put you on autopilot you have to be engaged in this this is where your volition comes in right people a lot of people want to serve God they do all these things for God but you know they're, they're telling you on the one hand I want to do what God wants me to do but on the other hand they refuse to see what God has done and how he does it so they don't care about that part. They just want to serve him in the way that they feel satisfies them. But that's the opposite of what worship is. Worship is not that. Worship is us serving God the way he wants, not the way we want. We're, this is where humility, faith, faith looks away from ourselves and to him, his word, his plan, his thoughts. It's not our thoughts that faith is the, that is the object of faith. So that is an important thought, okay? Point D, Christ lives in me. So uh, this is where Paul is saying, I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So immediately upon salvation, Christ is positionally in us. He's there. As we grow the dynamics of our new life into the dynamics of our new life, <clears throat> we allow his life, his mind, his will, to be our life, mind, and will. There's a lot of scriptures that we can uh, show to talk about this. But positionally, we have Christ in us. It's part of our makeup in this new age, in this new dispensation. It's part of who we are now. We're, the, those who are uh, in this new dispensation with these assets of the Spirit have... Uh, this new dynamic. Let's look at a couple of the scriptures and see how Christ handled it when he was here. So the first is John 14, 9. I'm going to quickly go through these. John 14, uh, 19, not 9. 19 says, But before long the world will not see me anymore. Meaning he's going to go through death, which is the separation from this world. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. So when he says, you will see me, he's saying, I'm still going to be alive in you. And you will realize that, here it is, verse 20, on that day, what day is that? Pentecost, when all this happened for the disciples. You will realize that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, the one who loves me. Now, they couldn't have gotten to the place where 
this would happen because Christ had given them specific instructions about what to do. They did it. They, they obeyed. They kept his commands. They stayed together. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. So then Christ is saying, he's not just talking about the resurrection. He's talking about Pentecost. Because the resurrection happened. Christ did show himself to the disciples alive. But that is not what verse 20 is talking about. Verse 20 goes further down to Pentecost. Christ is saying, I will show myself to them. I will manifest to them. First, I'm going to skip Judas's question. How do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Right? In other words, the teaching that he has been giving in 14, 15, 16, 17. Right? This is the last discourse of Christ. They will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So there it is. They're going to live. Not only is the Father living in us, but the Son. Now, whether or not they can manifest in us is dependent on what we do, how we allow them access to our lives. John 17, 20, and 21. Let's look at that one. 17, 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. Who's them? The disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them, not some of them, all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So then again, we've been saying this positional understanding of Christ in us, the Father's in us. When did it start happening? At Pentecost, right? That's when it began. Who, who, who let us know this? The Spirit. When the Spirit came, He came with the ministry. He's called the Spirit of Truth. Helps us understand all of these things happen to us. <laughs> so let's keep going. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So this is nothing to do, this is all positional. 17, 20, 21, 22, all of this is positional. It means this is what God has done for the whole church, regardless of what your status is as far as sanctification or spiritual growth. This is true of all of us. And then there's Colossians 1, 25 through 29. We've covered that in great detail in the past, but we're going to touch on it right now. 125 says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Uh, it's interesting to say, we didn't have all, all there was to say because the mystery was hidden from Israel. But now that we have this new information, we can talk about it how, and see how it all fits in the Father's eternal purpose. Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, to us, right? not to Israel, to us, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. In other words, there's some wealth, divine wealth to this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this whole baptism of the Spirit takes you it has minuses and it has pluses it takes you out of adam and brings you into the last adam if we're using the first corinthian 15 language so there's the first adam there's the last adam first man is this last man is that right who we're talking about adam and christ and so which one are you in to at birth you're in adam which one are you in after the new birth in this age you're in christ so it says, whom, whom we, uh, he is whom the one we proclaim, this is verse 28, Colossians 1, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So yes, God does want us to be fully mature. He does, and that is the goal in the Christian life. There is no, once we get uh, saved, 
that that's it. God says, oh, I'm done. I don't have any other expectations that hopefully you got saved, but nothing else. No, God has a plan that he's working out in this world and through human history. We are a large part of it. It is not us completely, but God is going to show us what his eternal purpose is. Anyway, so let's keep going. And then there's 3, 1 through 11. We won't read all of it. That's a lot. Uh, Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Notice you've been raised with Christ. Now, you might not have realized this. But the moment you believed, through the baptism of the Spirit, you went through the death, burial, and resurrection. So Paul is focusing on that raised with Christ. Because we haven't received our resurrection bodies yet. And neither has he at the time of writing. So he's saying for those who went through this process of what the baptism of the Spirit has upon us, is that we ought to now make applications to that, just as he did in our verse in Galatians 2.20. We should begin to make applications. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. And it's, he's not saying, well, you might. Some, theolo some theologians think that this happened. and some No, he's saying this is the reality for you. You have been raised with Christ. So what are we all to do? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. <clears throat> Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. So what's, what's he talking about then? He's really talking about the new life in Christ. What is that all about? That's what we ought to be focused on, not the old life in Adam. Well, verse 3, for you died. He's again referring to the results of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about you're dead. We don't need to call the undertaker or any of that for you. You died. And he's talking about all of us who believed in Christ in this age. We went through this process. He's referring back, just like he says you've been raised. Well, some people may object to that. So, no, I haven't received my resurrection body yet. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice, you're going to start realizing that if you don't understand what's going on here, then you're going to miss out on a lot of the dynamics of how we live the new life. You're not going to be able to understand it if you've rejected the idea that we were in Adam, now we're in Christ, this whole new dispensational thing. Jesus prepared the way and introduced it. And you're missing. Because you may not, it may not have been in your theology, but it's in the Word of God. So he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So there, that's where we are. We're in Christ right now. We're with him now in God. This is where this, these verses are profound to me because of the results that the apostle is bringing out about who we are now in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, verse 4, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So where are we now? With Christ. This is our destiny so this is talking about a future event, right? When Christ comes. But now notice, when he comes, it's no longer who he was alone. He's with us forever. We are with him. Now that's what the rapture does. It unites Christ with his body, with his church. We are one. And now when Christ comes back, who also is with him? We are, because we're part of who he is now. This is the, the thought of the Father for Christ. That wouldn't just be him, but will be, he would bring out many sons into glory. It would be us too. We're united with him. Notice when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Why? Because we're with him now. Positionally. But these things will manifest in the reality where everybody can see. Now, nobody can see that right now I'm in Christ. Right? This, it's, it's right now I have to trust by faith that it is the reality. But God, for as far as I know, God is saying this is how he sees things. 
We're in Christ now. He already knows what's going to happen in the future. I don't. But I trust his vision or view of things that will happen in the future. So that's something to know. Okay, so it goes on to talk about put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So that's for those in Adam. Now, not to say people in Christ don't have problems or don't indulge in these type of things. They do, but that's not the life God has called you to. It, it is not who we are in Christ. Christ is not that way. The, the old Adam, all that exists in the old Adam, but not in Christ. And Christ is only righteousness, peace, love, all that eternal life, all that is in Christ. So when, when ultimately when we have full expression in Christ, that is when we get our resurrection bodies, we're going to be like him, not going to be like the first Adam. We're not going to carry over any proclivities or anything from the first Adam. We're going to be in Christ completely. And we're going to be patterned after who he is, not who the first Adam was. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, you, verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Well, the life you once lived was dictated by Adam. It was because we were born with the sin nature that we inherited from the first Adam. We were born with the condemnation. The wrath of God was on us because of all of that. But God has found a solution to Adam, and part that's part of the plan. The bad news is overcome by the good news. Right? That's how it's supposed to work. But it does allow for God to funnel everybody who comes to Christ by grace. Right? We can't come because of our who we were in Adam or we had some special righteousness or God loves us in a way because, no, the, everything about the first Adam, God has said there's none righteous, not even one. We're all dead. We all have a sin nature. And we're all condemned. That's who the first Adam is. And that's God's response to the first Adam. It will not change. <clears throat> Except for the work of Christ, which does bring salvation. And all those uh, things we needed to solve the bad news. So all of that, we must, we must rid ourselves from these, thing, these things, which such as anger rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. These are all things and practices that Gentiles did, in, especially in the time of writing. This was very common. They indulged in these things. And the, some of these things uh, were unavoidable because they were taught in culture. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. So we're right in the middle. We don't have our resurrection bodies yet. We still have the remnants or the thoughts, the natural inclinations of Adam. So that's why we have to renew our minds with the mind of Christ, obviously, not the mind of Adam. And that is coming, right, for all of us. That's something that each of us have the opportunity to do. We can renew our minds. Let's get back to our notes. I know there's a lot. I don't want to rush through the baptism of the Spirit because it's such an essential doctrine. It's, it, it helps us understand how to make applications according to this truth. Now, of course, if we don't understand the truth, we can't make applications. But the applications are the transition from the first Adam and his thinking to the last, or Christ, and his way of thinking. And 1 Corinthians 2.16 even calls it the mind. We have, it says, the mind of Christ. And that's what we teach, Paul says. It's not, spirit, not earthly things, but spiritual realities. And that's how we live our lives, based on what God is doing, not what we think. So let's keep going. Point F, or is it E? The life I now live in the body, right? So the, this is point E in our notes. That is the new life, the Christ life. As we saw, Christ says, 
when that day comes, I'm you, I, you know, I'm not going away. I'm going away from the world, but I will be there. So he's still alive. And Christ is not dead. He's alive. This is the Christ way. And anything else is counterfeit. If we try to think about the Christian way of life as some other just obedience to some laws or uh, the Christian way of life is some way, some new way that, you know, we can obey the Mosaic law, it's not. It's a new dispensation and it comes with a new dynamic. So this is our goal in spiritual life, right? So... I have a couple verses that speak to this. 1 Corinthians 2.7, it says, <clears throat> says um, No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and then that God has destined for our glory before time began. This verse is very key to the way we think about things. It's because it passes right over Israel and the whole thought of Adam to where God has saw that he called us out of Adam to a new life. And in this new life, there's wisdom. So before you get to wisdom, you have to develop the basics of understanding. And then you get to wisdom of how to live. So that's why we talk about how important it is to understand the baptism of the Spirit because... God doesn't expect us to stay there. He expects us to develop wisdom around this. And imagine this. This wisdom was destined for our glory. Notice, before time began. So it's, if you think about before time began, skip over all of human history, all of creation, all of angels, all of that, to now, to Pentecost, when God began to bring people into the body of Christ. And he's talking about a wisdom of this whole thing, which is a plan from eternity past, before time began, to now. And it's, this is the wisdom that God has destined for our glory. So think of yourself. Just imagine that God brought you forth at that time. Would you, you wouldn't have any experience of, of, of angels, of creation, of all that. It's just like God bringing you forth at that particular time. That's the wisdom that we should be talking about in this age. That's what it is really about, the Father's eternal purpose. Now, of course, we can now look back at all the things that God, that we have gone through, all the things of human history, we can put that in its proper place with respect to us and what God has shown us. This, there's no other way you can look at this verse. When it talks about the mystery, it talks about the fact that God hid this in himself. He didn't reveal it to any creation. And now he reveals it to us. Because this is the wisdom that we're supposed to have. And then if we go down to 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 16, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So that not only do we have the understanding, but 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says we have the wisdom now, the thinking, the mature thinking of how we're supposed to function as those who are in Christ. And then verse 13, this is what we speak. Uh, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit, well, well, the Spirit means without this understanding that the Spirit brings, this new age understanding, he does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish, foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So you can't get this information. We're talking about new age information here. Can't get it by looking at Israel. 
or some human understanding. You can't. Even though there was teaching, this was hid in God before time began. He did not reveal it until he revealed it to us. And how, what is the means of this unveiling? <laughs> the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. He's, he's done a special revealing of this information in this age. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They can't. They will not have a place to put them. They won't have an, a place of orientation. They won't know what this information was. They can't go back to the Old Testament to verify the things that we're saying because it wasn't revealed them. So, now, is it, did God run aground? Did he create a foul by giving the Mosaic law and the Israel and the calling that they had? No, all of that now, and we can integrate that into this new age. It's not to say that uh, Jews don't have a role, because the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, not just Gentiles. So this is unique for us. It considers them foolishness, but verse 15, the person with the Spirit, in other words, he allows the Spirit to teach him all things, right? makes judgments about all things, but such person is not subject to merely human judgments. Notice, he can make judgments about all things. <laughs> creation, he can understand, integrate creation into the Father's eternal purpose. He can integrate uh, Adam and the woman, he can integrate Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, all of that. He can, he can understand angels in the light of what God's intention was in all things. That's, that's how we ought to see this information. Is unique. The person without the Spirit, he can't make this, he can't evaluate such things. The person with the Spirit with the, allow the Spirit to teach him, can make evaluations about such things. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ that could not be said in the Old Testament. It could not be said in the Mosaic Law. They did not have the mind of Christ. We do because of this new age. So let's keep it going. Let's keep moving. There's a lot more to cover. Point F in our notes, mutual possession is the way Christ taught it. Right? Using his example with the Father, that would be the same for us. John 14, 7. Let's look at it. John 14, 7. When we talk about mutual possession, look at this. <clears throat> it says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So now notice this. <clears throat> Jesus was possessed by the Father. The Father was in Christ. And he was trying to show us that the life that he had with the Father, the relationship that he had with the Father, is the same relationship that we would have with him and the Father as we progress down these verses. Now, Christ is showing the maturity of it. He does not saying, well, Christ, uh, the Father's positionally in me, and I'm going to just say and act the way I want to act. No, he's saying, I've completely allowed the Father to possess me. Not just, oh, in my mind, but period. The Father has expression in my physical presence. The Father can speak through me. The Father's thoughts are what you're hearing. His words are what you're hearing, not mine, Christ is saying. Even though you're seeing me, it's the Father living in me. The miracles, the signs, the wonders that I'm doing, that, that's not from me. It's from the Father. So this is why he's saying, he's, he's giving this example. He's telling us the, the dynamics that are going on within him so that the disciples would know that later the same dynamic will be at work in them. 
So 14.7 or 14.9 through 12, he says, uh, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? After Philip asked that question about, well, show us the Father. Well, you're seeing the Father, Jesus is saying. Don't you see him? He says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you know? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? and that the Father is in me. So there you have that dynamic that we read about that positionally would be true for everybody in the church. But Christ is showing you what it's like now. He says, believe it. I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. That's the very dynamic that we have in this age. Did not exist prior. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father, notice what he's doing, living in me. So now, that's what mutual possession is. It's not my will that gets done, not my will that people see uh, displayed in my life. It's the Father living in me, Christ says. So he's modeling for us what the baptism of the Spirit is experientially. And notice, who is doing the work? Then verse 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father or the Father is in me. He gives a base test. <clears throat> so the same test that he gave to the Pharisees when they accused him of blasphemy in John 10, he says, well, I'll tell you what. If I do the works that the Father has wants me to do, in other words, I'm doing the actual miracles, signs, and wonders that he, that he allows me to do, then believe it. But if, you, if I don't do them, don't believe it. He's saying the same thing to these disciples here. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me doing the work, doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least, here at the very least, the base test, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, isn't it true that the, the, the miracle signs and wonders are happening? Nicodemus says so. He says, we know that no man can do the things you are doing unless God is with him. That's his understanding of it. So 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Going to the Father means that the church age will begin. And not only would Christ be, uh, the Father was in Christ, but the Father and Christ would now be in every church age believer, everyone. So what, the life that was happening in Christ that they couldn't believe, that was the Father living in Christ. Well, that would be now parlayed into every church age believer. The moment we believe in Christ. Just like Christ says that all of them, Father, may be in, in me and I in you and all that. All of them. That's huge. So anyway, back to our notes. We're moving forward. <clears throat> 12. I think we, we were supposed to do 12 through 16 because it talks about the spirit of truth and all that. We're going to move forward to point, I think we were um, 9 to 12. Oh, and 23 and 24. Uh, John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus replied, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. These 
very important understanding of how the dynamics of the Father is in Christ and how he was manifesting in the presence of Christ, the works of Christ, the life of Christ was merged with the Father's will so that what you saw was not Christ doing what he wanted to do. What you saw was the Father, his life, his plan being manifest in that person. That's mutual possession. It, it comes with maturity because we have to say that Christ was mature, but the, 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 the display of the Father's will and Christ's will in us comes as we mature, as we grow in Him, as we allow the mind of Christ to transform us so that we, are, we do God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's when it comes. It's not a, something that happens the moment. That's why we had in uh, Romans, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And that like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So walking in newness of life, and then you have in the beginning of that, or do you not know? So it is something that we have to learn. It's not something that happens automatically. Let's keep it going. So <clears throat> mutual possession, we're still, that was point F. Point G, I live by faith in the Son of God. We're, we're still on that verse where it talks about the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So remember, Paul no longer lives, right? So the life that he had is not the life of Adam, but it must be derived from this new age information. We can't go back to the Old Testament. Paul can't be go back to say, well, when I was a Pharisee, this is how I thought about things. Because he can't live that anymore because of what God has done in this doctrine, the baptism of the Spirit. He understands he can't, he can't go back to that. He says, I no longer live. I'm separated from the life that was in Adam. Now notice, the life in Adam has variations. You got people who were Jews and Gentiles in the life of Adam. And they, are, they were, had various... Salvation always was the same in every age. So we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about our calling. So Paul was a Pharisee in Adam. Notice, he was a Pharisee. He was a Jew, but he was a Pharisaical Jew in Adam. But then you have people in Adam who were Gentiles, who were involved in every sort of debauchery and sexual immorality and worship of sex and phallic symbols and such. So you have a variation of people in Adam that went from the very thing, the base to where, I'm not saying Paul was higher because the, as a Pharisee, he's saying that uh, that's not the life I live. But as a Pharisee, he was also blind to the spiritual life in the Old Testament. He thought that justification came by the law and that was wrong. He believed what we call is the big lie. It's the big lie still going on. For many today, they believe they're justified by their works, their morality, their sense of goodness, their sense of justice, the golden rule, whatever you want to say. They think that that's how life has come about. Uh, the, the spiritual life has come in for them and that God should respect their offering because they're sincere. But they sidestep what God's will is. They sidestep the bad news, etc., etc. So Paul's saying <clears throat> he's separate. He no longer lives. The, the new life is lived by faith in the Son of God. That's the new way of thinking. The mind of Christ dictates what Paul does. Just like the Father dictated what Christ did. Point H. Let's move forward. Faith in the Son of God. This is not saving faith. Because Paul is already saved, right? So it's not, we're not talking about faith in the Son. This is not a, ma a, a message of salvation here. When he says, I'm crucified with Christ, I no longer live. The life I now live 
is my faith in the Son of God. He's not saying every day I wake up and say, I believe in Christ. I believe in Christ. I believe in Christ. He's saying every day I wake up, I believe in the Father's eternal purpose, which is in Christ, the mind of Christ. That's what he's saying. Every, that's how he lives. Not by the pharisaical uh, Jewish approach that believed in the big lie. He now believes and trusts in the new life, the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, Romans 12.2. So it's not saving faith. Hopefully people see faith, they're like, oh yeah, salvation, right? They, they don't think that faith can have other ways, or other means of understanding. They, they mis, misapply. So Romans 12.2 talks about uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will know what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. 1 Corinthians 2.16 talks about the mind of Christ in that very context that we talked about earlier. Point I, he loved me, right? Paul says Christ loved him. That means Christ was devoted, committed, and dedicated to the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. Christ loved me, Paul's saying. He saw him before time began. He chose him in Christ, Ephesians 1, 4, before creation. And he's recognizing that there, Christ was committed to the Father's plan. He not only fulfilled everything he fulfilled for that reason, but because he loved him. So I have John 17, 4 through 10, because it goes beyond. Listen, listen to 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now the work, he, he was still in the process of finishing the work, but in Christ's mind, it was already done. But more so, he's going to tell you what work he did. What did he finish? He didn't go to the cross yet. He didn't get judged for the sins of the whole world. But that's not the subject. So, verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Wow. So, there's something. It's not just about salvation. right? When it says he chose us in him, it's not just about salvation. It's something that happened before creation that the Father and the Son were talking about, and it resulted in glory. It had to do with Christ. And what he's going to reveal some of it, verse 6, I have revealed you to those you gave me. When did he get? There were certain ones. Who, who gave me? How, how did the Father give some to Christ? Well, he chose some to be in Christ. So Christ didn't choose us. The Father chose us before time began. I have revealed you, who's you? You, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Who's he talking about? The disciples in context, the 11 that were there, and obviously the 12, because Paul was the 12th apostle. The disciples who became apostles are who, who he's talking about. I revealed you to those you gave me uh, out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Yeah. So they see the Father in uh, in Christ. That's what they see now. For I gave them the word you gave me. When did he give him these special words? He told us right there in John 14, 15, 16, and now 17. I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. This, And they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So Christ being sent isn't only about redemption. It's about this. I pray for them. Uh, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Now, the Father loved the world so much he gave his only begotten Son. That's salvation. But this, he's saying, is specific. Is specific. And later he tells us, I'm not just praying for them alone. 
I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about after Pentecost. So, where are we now in our notes? He loved me. Christ was devoted, committed, and dedicated to the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. And that is what he did. Christ did the work. He finished this work. Point J. He loved me and gave himself for me. It is clear from the new dynamics emphasized that God's purpose is more than the salvation of man. So even though we talk about Christ and we cannot minimize the work of Christ on our behalf, because it's magnanimous, it's profound of how the Father imputed all the sins of Christ to Christ, uh, all the sins of Adam to Christ, and then judged Christ and is satisfied with the judgment of Christ on our behalf. But it is also apparent that his work, Christ's work, included that he bring many sons into glory through him. And this is what Christ is saying when he's he, he is emphasizing all of this in John 17. But this is what Paul is saying in our verse where he's saying that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul could say, well, as a Jew, I could understand that Christ was going to come and all of that. But he he's not saying that. He's saying that now on the other side of it to say that there's this new thing going on here. And I recognize that When Christ came, he didn't just do the work of salvation, but he did this work of introducing the new age that we find in John 17. So there's two works of Christ. Now, obviously, the second work of Christ is dependent on the first work of Christ. And we could keep talking about dependencies. We could say, well, creation was dependent on, um, and that was a work of Christ. It was dependent, what happens now is dependent on creation. We could keep going back to where the Father chose us in him before the creation of the world. We should be holy and blameless in his sight and love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons. And we could go, go on and on and talk about that our purpose spans or goes back to before the creation of all things. So the new dynamics emphasized are, is God's purpose is more than the salvation of man. In other words, God revealed this purpose before he thought about the saving of man. Now, it's through that, obviously, God, we came through Adam. There's no doubt we had to be saved. I mean, we can't take away the importance of salvation. Now, you could say, well, what's what's the most important thing? We could talk about it. We could debate it. What's the most important thing to God? Is it the salvation of man? Or is it his eternal purpose to bring many sons into glory through that salvation? We could talk about it because both are important. I mean, we, we, I could say a person can't bring glory to God through this new age unless they're saved. That argument could be made and I have to say that's true. But I'm looking past that because God is looking past that to this age as the ultimate revelation of his eternal purpose which he hid in himself he didn't tell anybody about this purpose but salvation happened the moment Adam ate the forbidden fruit and the human race was plunged into sin and unrighteousness and condemnation and spiritual death We came through that to this place where God is now baptizing and bringing many sons into glory. 
through the spirit of truth. So I know we we covered a lot, but we're I think we're ready to finish Galatians in verse 21. We'll get to that next week. Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We'll try not to rush through this. I see there's more ahead of us, so it makes me think I got to rush, but I don't. I'm going to take my time. We'll, <clears throat> but next week we should be able to finish <coughs> this thought, but we'll, we'll stop for now and We'll be into this next week. Let's let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we've had to look with a more of a magnifying glass in your word, to glean those things that you have shown us, to, to talk about them, the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. We have an opportunity to look at that wisdom, to examine it, to think about it, to develop it for ourselves, as the Apostle Paul did. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, and this is how I live. This is what's going on inside of me, even now. We have opportunity to see what the dynamics of this new age are all about and how we can glorify God, even in time before we receive our resurrection bodies, how we can grow in grace and in knowledge and grow to maturity and have a, a mature relationship with you, Father. We pray for every person under the sound of my voice that these things would come to the surface, that they would be the most prominent thing that we think about, as we live our lives in this world. We will understand the hope of our calling, the glorious riches of our inheritance, and the power that is associated with this call, of what God has called us to. So we thank you for those who are here, those who listened, and we pray that you will continue to guide and direct us. That we would continue to think in terms of our calling and why we're here in this world. We thank you for choosing us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.